Computer, initialize Holosuite. of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 19, Blood Oath. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That's right, and you absolutely should find us and follow us. And if you haven't already on Twitter, you are missing out because there was a lot of great stuff that happened uh, this past week with some of the newer Trek shows, and we were all over it. So uh, find us, follow us, give us your your feedback on our show and other shows. We'd love to engage with you um, on any of that and have a good time. Um, But yeah, tonight, though, uh, we are here to talk about Blood Oath, but of course, before we get into that, David, how was your week? That was fine. Nothing big to report this this time around. I'll just say that uh, the new season of Stranger Things has started, so the first half, Volume 1, the first seven episodes have come out. I believe it's July 1st. They're going to drop the second half. Um, and I liked it for what it was. Um, I definitely think that they're setting up more events to happen in the second half, like a lot of the cast is separated and doing different things in different places in this first half. Um, I think you and I were talking briefly and I had only watched the first episode when you said you had heard some reports of people saying like, Oh, there's more people who weren't part of the main cast this season. I would say that there are just more characters because every season they just, you know, they interact with new people. Um, but none of them became part of the main cast per se, at least nothing direct. Um, I do think they could have edited it down a few things and get a little more screen, a little more tight. Like for example, the the final seventh episode was an hour and forty minutes long. I definitely think that was longer than it needed to be, but it was fine overall. Liked it so far. Looking forward to the rest of it. Um, but yeah, other than that, nothing much else to report. How you doing? Oh, I'm I'm great. Um, we've had a you know. Um, pretty stable week here. I actually moved into a new area with my job. So hopefully nice. this is going to take me ultimately down the path to being a supervisor of my own team here soon. Nice. So I'm looking forward to that. I, you know, I just started that process. I was just made aware of it Tuesday. You know, we had Memorial Day and everything like that. So then coming back from that, I got that notice and have really just been kind of, you know, rolling through that as quickly as I can, hopefully by the end of next month, uh-huh. I could be a new supervisor. So yeah. we're, uh, we're going to see, we're going to see what I can do, how fast this can go. Right. Um, other than that, I'm already feeling the pressure from the school system, of course, to enroll my kid. I'm like, I mean, school just <laughs> let out last week. Can we have a breather, please? Yeah. You know? But they, you know, they want you to fill out all the forms and all that kind of stuff. And then there's this whole thing they're doing this year where, or there's this coming year where the students are going to get their own uh, Chromebooks, but you have to sign this like loan lease program or whatever for the Chromebook. So in the event the kid damages it or whatever, you have to reimburse the school for it. And I was like, I would just rather buy her her own right. 
then do that because that way I can control it. It's here at home with me. You know, at the end of the night, she I know she has to bring it back to me versus them keeping it in school. And if some kid damages it or didn't damage it or who touched it and all that, all that would be cut out right. by us owning it. Right. And me having it every night. And I was like, and I feel like it would take a burden off the school. I paid for it. I have to be doing the insurance for it and everything else. Y'all don't have to worry about anything. Let us let us deal with it, you know. So but they don't want me to do that. The school was like very adamant that I just do their their thing so i'm kind of fighting them on that and you know how i am like don't tell me i can't do something <laughs> right like this is gonna make me want to even more so <laughs> dealing with that um but in positive news more positive news uh i i'm loving thursdays now because all of the sci-fi is out on thursdays you know strange <laughs> new worlds is every thursday and now the orville just dropped its first episode of the new season this past thursday as well so it's just like if you are looking for a day to immerse yourself in sci-fi, Thursday is it, you know, and in the new episodes of uh, Halo, if you're watching it, come out on, on Thursday as well. I don't, I don't, obviously I'm not watching that show, but there it is. You got a lot of stuff that you can really, you know, have just a sci-fi night right. in. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that. And Strange New Worlds has not disappointed me yet. Every episode has been Great, just just fantastic, and I'm I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more later on down the road. Right. But just for now, that's all I'm going to say. Strange New Worlds is great, yeah. and I'll give you some examples later on. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, there is one thing that I felt it important to announce because of our show, of course, and we've been talking about it throughout pretty much um, all of our episodes, all of our uh, episodes so far. And that is the removal of Trek from Netflix. And if you have not been made aware yet, I must inform you now that Star Trek Deep Space Nine will be leaving Netflix July 1st. What? Yes. Oh, my July goodness. July 1st. So we had initially made a projection that it was probably going to be next year, January 2023, run out the contract. Well, apparently the contract is already up. Wow. And they are officially pulling it July 1st and all Trek, all Trek, not even on some of the other things that we had talked about, like I think um, Peacock TV or something like that. Somebody was saying earlier, but all Trek will now exclusively be on Paramount Plus. So if you do not have a Paramount Plus subscription, you will have to get one to watch the shows come July 1st. Now, there have been some complaints already about the streaming platform having a lot of bugs in it that they need to work out. They are aware. They are working on it. Uh, there's a couple of announcements that they've put out on the Paramount Plus tech site. If you go there and you look at it, they are aware of some of these glitches that they say are kind of like region specific. So I, I don't know how true that is or whatever, but that's just what they say. So it seems like they're trying to fix it because, well, everybody now has to come there yeah. to watch Star Trek. So Hopefully um, that gets uh, resolved before July 1st because I don't think anybody wants to try to watch it there and, and you're, you know, glitching out and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, Man. but yeah, moved a lot faster than we thought. Yeah. So July 1st, you need to sign up for Paramount Plus. Now, the good thing about this is one, all Trek is now will be centrally located. So you won't have to worry about it. But also right now, Paramount Plus is pretty cheap. I believe it's like the cheapest platform that's out there right now. Uh, it's the same price as Hulu, and that's like your basic Hulu, not Hulu ad-free or whatever, but they're the same price. 
Um, and then you, and there's a, a bunch of other shows besides just Star Trek that are out there on that platform too. So you're going to get a lot of stuff with it. I am in no way affiliated with Paramount. I'm not trying to plug them for anything. I'm just saying, if you want to watch Star Trek for pretty cheap, there you go. I'm actually considering canceling my Netflix because there's nothing really on Netflix anymore that I want to watch. I'm even, as I said before, I'm not really that interested in watching Stranger Things this time around. Yeah. So, I mean, I could, I, I think what I'm going to do, because, you know, they have that whole trial thing where you could put it on pause for a couple of months and then come back and all your stuff is saved. I may do that right. and just see, you know, and then if I truly don't want it, then just leave it, leave it off. Yeah. Yeah. I, know? I, man, July 1st, huh? Well, I mean, that's when the new, the, the second half of Stranger Things comes out. I know mean, there's other things on Netflix that I'd want to revisit. Like I haven't. Did you ever watch the Black Mirror show by chance? You know, I watched a few episodes when it initially came out, and I was intrigued by it, but there was never really enough to make me want to keep coming back and revisiting. Really? Because so, I did yeah. like it as a show. It was it's heavy. That show is really heavy. Like it was one of those shows where, like, I mean, they're only, they're only one episode um, stories, and they're usually just an hour or so, uh, but they're mm. usually really intense, um, really heavy material and uh like you only watch one at a time kind of thing or like i think on some of them i even had to like pause it and like you know go away and come back kind of thing um mm -hmm. but yeah i want to finish the episodes i haven't watched but i don't know how well they've been keeping up with it i haven't really kept up with it at all so i'll probably try and like find all the shows that i want to catch up on on netflix and then as i've said before i'll probably once Stranger Things is done, probably just stop my subscription because I primarily use it at this time for Deep Space Nine. Um, and then when Stranger mm -hmm. Things is up, that's mainly what I would be use it for. So I feel sad to say all that. It's like Netflix is a cultural phenomenon, but it seems like yeah, it's lost I mean, its it, mojo. It really did. Well, I, I feel like, and again, not affiliated with any of these things, and this is totally an opinion, but, you know, Netflix did start this market, but I feel like where Netflix failed, and I think we had talked about this before, too, was Netflix stopped doing the thing that made it interesting in the first place, which was it gathered up all of a, a lot of older shows and gave them to you in their complete format. Right. And allowed you to go back and watch. Yeah. It. They stopped doing that. And then it became all about original content and they were trying to generate all this stuff. But then with the original content... Besides a very, very select few shows, they typically stop those after three seasons. Yeah. All of a sudden, these shows that you had kind of built interest in were done for. Right. And it's just like, what's the point if you're trying to really get to settle in and enjoy a run of a show? It's only three seasons. There's just not there's not enough to make you stay vested in it. And then, of course, the other thing, too, the price kept going up. Every, you know, six or seven months or so, they would have a, a price hike. And now it's the most expensive streaming platform out there. And that's not to say that the other ones can't be more expensive, but they're typically more expensive when you bundle other things into them. Like if you have Hulu and you bundle in HBO and Showtime and ESPN and all that stuff, that's when the prices on those shoot, shoot up. Right. There is no bundling with Netflix. It's just Netflix, and it's the most expensive one. Yeah. So, the desire there, it's it's gone downhill right. a lot. It's gone downhill a yeah. lot. So maybe, and now they've got this thing that they're trying to, you know, stop people from sharing passwords, uh, sharing passwords <laughs> and everything else. They're, I feel like they're just hurting their what little market they've got left yeah. and until they really kind of go back to 
their basics to a certain degree. I just don't think that they are going to last too much longer because right. because now everybody has a platform, right? You know, Hulu, Amazon, NBC, Paramount, CBS—they all have their own streaming service now. So it's just like, do we really need Netflix anymore? Right. Yep. So. Yep, that's right. I feel like Netflix got greedy and hurt themselves. <laughs> in the yeah. So that's just all there is to it. Yep, I would agree. But we're not here to talk about Netflix or CBS or any of those other ones. We are here to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And tonight we are talking about Blood Oath, a fantastic episode. Now, did you want to do the recap or did you want me to do the recap? Um. Well, so when this episode started and I was like thinking who would do it, this episode starts as an Odo episode almost. I thought it was going to be an yeah, I thought it was going to oh, yeah. be an Odo episode, but it turned into a Dax episode. Yes, so I was it like, did. I was like, well, uh, that that should be a Perry if it's an Odo episode, but then it turned Dax. So I'm happy to let you do it. Uh, okay. But yeah, you want to do, do it? Let's that's, do it. That's fine. Yeah, just going to hit the highlights and then we'll dive into it. Anyway. Let's go for it. Okay, so uh, quick recap. This episode starts in Quark's bar, and Quark is calling in Odo as reinforcements because there is some old Klingon in one of his hollow suites. He's been in there all day fighting the infamous battle of Brock de Kelrock, and this is a ancient Klingon battle between the Romulans and the Klingons, and... Uh, the guy is apparently just, he's completely taken over the Hollow Suite. Right. And he's threatened to kill Quark if he interrupts. So Quark now needs Odo to drive him out. Odo goes, eventually persuades him to come out. Great little scene between Odo and Quark because he's like, shut off the power. And he's like, you can't, he'll kill you. And he's like, no, he said he'd kill you. <laughs> so, you know, great little moment between them. Yep. They get this old Klingon out of the hollow suite. They con him into going and in, uh, into the jail cell, basically where he falls asleep. Yeah, and, um, a victory celebration is being held. <laughs> yes, and so now Cork, uh, not Cork, but Odo is essentially just waiting for him to sleep it off. Um, he's waiting in his office and he's just reading, catching up on his work or whatever. And all of a sudden, he just becomes aware of a presence. He spins around in his chair, stands up, and there's another old Klingon standing in his office. Yeah. He's like, how did you get in here? And he says, I am Kolov. And he says, that doesn't answer the question. He's like, yes, it it does. I loved it. Great scene. Um, So now Odo is willing to release uh, the drunk Klingon in the the cell that we now learn is Kor into his best friend, who is Kolov custody. However, Koloth is very upset with the state of Kor and decides to leave him there. Odo goes to Ops to complain. He's talking to Kira about this whole situation. We find out that Kor is at least 100, Koloth is at least 150, and Odo is having a Klingon afternoon. Um, Dax overhears this conversation, realizes who the two Klingons are, and that she knows them when she used to be Curzon. Yes. She goes with Odo back to the cell. She greets Kor. They share their embrace. They update each other, basically, that she is no longer Curzon. She is uh, Jadzia. And Odo agrees to release Kor to her. Right. So, um, this then leads them to finding, to go and to track down Koloth. They find Koloth practicing knife cuts on some food. And they talk to, basically, just, again, doing the introductions. Koloth, this is actually, this is, this is Dax. Right. And at first, unaccepting. But once he gets over it a little bit, 
we now become aware that there's a reason that these two Klingons are here. Right. And that there's a third. Kang is somewhere. He's on his way. Right. So with uh, with the reveal that Kang is on his way, this can only mean one thing, that the infamous albino has been tracked down. Right. So, um, so this means that, so now we have to figure out what this whole albino scenario is. And we later find out that the whole story with the albino is that Kang, Koloff, and Kor all had sons and the albino poisoned them. And this set them on a, where all these Klingons plus Dax, Curzon at the time, swore a blood oath to avenge the lives of these of these young Klingon boys who were murdered by the albino. Right. They've been hunting him for decades now, it seems, and he always managed to stay one step ahead of them until Kang has now figured out where he is. Um, Kang, when he shows up, he relays this information. He decides that while they are going to go on this mission, he does not want Dax to go with him, and he does not explain himself as to why. Right. He releases Dax from the oath. She's very conflicted about this um, because she still feels like she should be a part of this quest. Um, she then ends up talking with Kira for a little bit. They have a great moment together where they're talking about killing people and taking lives and what it does to you and everything else. But ultimately, Dax still feels like she has to be a part of this. She ends up going to the holodeck. She confronts Koloth. She has a great sparring match with him with a bat left. And if you didn't want a bat left before watching this scene, you wanted one after. 100%. All, oh, yeah. That's all I'm going to say. We'll get, back, we'll get back to that. Yes, we will. <laughs> she fights Koloth. She loses to Koloth. But Koloth decides that she put up an honorable enough fight that he is still willing for her to – he's now willing for her to join the quest. Kang is still adamant that she not. Takes a while, but she finally drags it out of Kang as to what's going on. And Kang is basically saying that he had caught up to the albino. And um, basically the albino was saying, I'm tired of this endless pursuit. I'm going to give you one last shot, all of you, to to get me. Right. Um, now Jadzia is still going to go. Uh, she has a, con- a scene with Cisco where it's he's basically saying you can't do this. You've got a duty to the Federation. All this other cultural stuff drops when you become a member of the Federation. That kind of talk again, something we'll get into later. Right. Um, but she decides to go anyway. It's kind of left in the air as to whether or not if she goes and comes back from this mission, whether or not she'll have a job. But she goes anyway. Right. On Kang's ship, they're laying out their plan. She's suggesting all these subterfuge um, scenarios that they can kind of sneak around. Kang doesn't want to do any of that. Um, and I'm sorry, this is when the other two, when Koloth and Kor go to sharpen their blades one last time, this is when Kang reveals to her the truth about the plan and the albino and his involvement and everything. And so he knows this is a trap right. and they're basically walking into a glorious death. But, but, um, Jadzia convinces him that, you know, with her expertise as a science officer, she can perhaps level the playing field. Exactly. So, so they agree to, to do this and then get ready. They beam down, they arrive at the planet, they beam down, um, they they find out about the 
layout of the officers that are supposed to be protecting the albino. Right. They sabotage one of the power stations. They break into the main compound. All hell breaks loose. There's all these guys fighting everywhere. So you've got three Klingons and Jadzia fighting hordes of various masked aliens and this albino standing at the top of the stairs. They just go through it and they're winning for a while. Right. Um, Koloth is the first to fall. Then Kang gets stabbed and he gets taken out. Jadzia is just kind of like waylaid by a bunch of them and Kang makes it up the steps. And then we have this great silhouetted scene of Kang versus the albino fighting at the top of the steps going at it. Right. right? Um, ultimately though, even though it seems like Kang is winning, his blade breaks this gives the albino the uh upper hand and he's able to take out kane right and now it leaves jadzia to potentially have to kill him right um she levels her bat left at him and he's basically teasing her saying you know you're you're a chick you're just a little girl you don't know anything about this and you're not going to be able to kill me right puts his neck right into the tip of her blade is like yeah go ahead and do it and that's when kane who's not really dead rears up and stabs him right. and kills him. And that's it. We see Jadzia is standing there. Kor, who was stabbed earlier, does is not dead. He just was severely wounded. Right. But it turns out that, unfortunately, Koloth and Kang did die. Right. And Jadzia and Kor are the only two survivors. Right. They return back to Deep Space Nine, and even though Sisko is not happy, they just kind of share looks, and then it's just kind of She's she's got her job. She's still able to be there. Right. And that is essentially the episode. Yeah. Now, if you want to know more about it, obviously you can go and watch it. But those are the highlights. That's right. So go watch it and come back and talk to us. We'll, we'll still be here. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say so two episodes ago, we had a Dax centric episode. And then last episode, it's like they had too much of Dax and they like kept her out. And then we get another Dax episode. So I feel OK again. It's like. It's like a sandwich, except where the sandwich is good stuff, but the middle is nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once again. It, they just couldn't keep, like, if they give us some Dax, they got to give us some not Dax. But if they give us more Dax in the next one, it's like they, they balance it all out, uh, kind of, for for this episode. And actually, I actually have mm-hmm. to say, this episode is even better than the one two uh, two episodes ago, which let me remind myself of the name of that one real quick. That one Are you was, talking about playing God? That's it, playing God. Yeah, playing God. Yep. Yeah, this is a much better episode, a much a, a much better Jadzia Dax yes. episode. The other one is a is a great Dax episode. That's more about the importance of being a joined trill, right? What it means to be a host and and all that. That's a great episode for that like trill world building, right? This is a better episode for distinguishing the character. how Dax, yes. yeah, the character of Dax, how Jadzia is different from Curzon, and yet there is some blending of personalities we're seeing here, some overlap between Curzon and Jadzia. Well, so the playing God episode was a little bit abstract on some level. It was kind of learning about trills as a, as a species. And, you know, what does it mean to be a symbiote or one of those that has been combined with a symbiote? Uh, like, but the whole being approved to become one, uh, Jadzia Mm -hmm. gets to kind of differentiate, you know, the Dax part of herself, the Jadzia part of herself and the Curzon part of herself. And she can talk in like a third person way about all these different parts of herself. And this one Jodzia is having to wrestle with does she follow up on a Curzon oath 
the blood oath that Curzon made, does she want to follow Curzon's oath? Does, does she um, yes. follow through? Does she still feel... And this is something that is an interesting thing that she does because um, it's already been established that once a new host takes over the symbion, all responsibilities to the previous host and exactly. It's very important that their associations and all that kind of stuff stop there. In fact, we saw early on in season one, Dax is put on trial for this very thing. Exactly. You know? Yes. So the fact that she is still trying to honor this oath, it almost kind of works as like a plot hole because we just established in season one that your previous associations and so forth no longer matter. Right. But now it seems like Dax is saying they no longer matter unless you really want them to. Yes. So... You know, yeah, this is a paradox. Where's the gray line? This is the paradox yes. of the trill. They have the, and again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think, I'm gonna go back and say what I think I've said a couple, a couple episodes back is that, in my mind, the the symbiote part of them, the way I'm thinking of it at least, and again, I might be wrong, but they basically are like the memory bank of a conjoined trill. Like whatever memory banks you have in your own brain, like somehow transfer to the symbiote part and that part mm -hmm. can move on. So like your brain, I don't know if it really means, and again, I'm just, I'm just theorizing. I don't know if it means that your brain is then allowed to like learn new skills and muscle memory. Cause it's like frees up part of your cortex for whatever memory settings or memory parts can now be part of this, the, the, the symbiote part. But the reason I, that's important, I guess for me is like Jodzia remembers everything like Curzon did. Like she, that's very clear mm -hmm. in this episode. She remembers uh, being the ambassador Curzon to the Klingons and meeting Kang and angering Kang and saying to him in this episode, like, I remember I had to get you mad at me when I first met you so that we could build mm -hmm. a bond. That's how you kind of, that's how the Klingons relate. And Kang said, you were the first non Klingon that seemed to understand Klingons. Um, so Jadzia is this combined personality. She remembers all the things that Curzon did, um, and she remembers the the passion of the Blood Oath. And so she can't just give like when Kang says, "I understand that legally you're free of all the things that Curzon was a part of." Um, I I release you, and we find out later in the episode, as you described, that. Part of the reason he does that is because he thinks this is a suicide mission, and so he doesn't want this young lady to die. Um, but it just makes the trill very interesting. You know, what what is it like to live multiple lives? Do you like, like if you ever made it? Like, let's say it was a mistake to have made this blood oath. Like you regretted it mm -hmm. for eighty one years. Like ah oh, man, I did it in the heat of passion. That was probably a bad idea. I probably shouldn't have done that. But then they come to you, you're a new person now, and they say, hey, we actually do need you to join us. It's like, well, I remember the passion of it. That was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it, but no, I should do it. No, that's the opposite here. It's like, Jadzia remembers being willing and committed as Curzon. So does Jadzia bring a new like thought process to that oath? Well, you know, that was a mistake. It was done in the heat of passion. No, she right. gives curse on Dax 
Like, she doesn't question Curzon Dax's blood oath. She doesn't question... She doesn't question his convictions when he made the oath. Exactly. She is as committed as right. if she had done it herself. So she is exactly. Curzon Dax on some level. Um, yes. Yeah, it's it's a fun, fascinating thing to think about. And as you just said, it kind of goes against that first episode... Or the, the first season episode where it was like, well, water and salt can mix, but you can take... You know, when you let the water evaporate off you have just the salt you know it's not the same thing they are separate um no this episode is like no it's like the salt makes the water the salt or i don't know it's like the, the analogy is not quite right according to what we just saw but it's like no it's just like that's the paradox at least in my mind it's like that's the paradox of the trill they yes are and are are not their former hosts they have the memories mm-hmm. of the former hosts they can choose to act on the on the choices of the previous host, but like that's the real question, I guess, is like, again, if you had made a decision, say ten years ago, and you regret that decision, are you responsible for that decision, or are you now a new person who wouldn't do that today, and you would regret you regret that choice, you would make a different one if you could. Um, are you now a new person that shouldn't be held responsible? Well, well, no. It's I don't think anyone would 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 argue long term. Like if you if you did a horrible crime, people would say you still have to pay for it if you finally got caught. I mean, Nazi guards are found even today, and they get sent back to Germany to you know serve out their sentences, even if they might say today that they regret their choices. So, yeah, it's it's the trill are a fascinating species, and we finally get an episode that really I feel really dealt with that we've we've had hints of it we've had the funness of oh Curzon liked playing games like poker um mm-hmm. or 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 Dabo or whatever the other one is but um it's it's Jadzia who's now good at it or something like that no this is the first time well I guess other than that first season episode but it she was quiet that whole time like we never really heard from her in that yeah that was that was our main complaint during that episode was that we it was called dax it it was called dax but yeah she barely spoke yeah so um yeah this is this was a it was it was the best episode about the trill and about dax yet um and i'm i was very glad to see it as this episode started to, to unfold and this is also a great episode for Klingons. And in yes. fact, three of the most famous Klingons in Star Trek history were here. Kang, Kor, Koloth. For <laughs> people who are who are fans of both the original series and apparently alliterations, uh, you <laughs> would know Curzon, that... <laughs> that's the <with a> C. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Um, but for those of you who are fans of the original series, you will know that all three of these Klingons made spectacular appearances as adversaries of James T. Kirk at one time really? or another. Ah. Yes. Um, and so this was, they all, all of them had their, their moments with Kirk and they all ended those moments, not necessarily being, you know, soundly defeated by Kirk, but with coming away with a bit more of a better understanding and overall respect for both Kirk and Starfleet. Right. And so, you know, we have not seen these characters um, really since then, but uh, the mythos of these three has built in the in the Klingon uh, culture. Right. Okay. They're, they're very famous Klingons. And they're famous really for being expert fighters and being so long-lived. Again, as we found out, at least 
at least for Kor and Koloth, we know they're at least 100 to 150 years old. Right. So we also know that Klingons are exceedingly long-lived because, I mean, if Koloth is 150, that man was moving pretty well for a 150-year-old man. So he didn't show any evidence of slowing down anytime soon. But yes, um, that is actually one of the things that was talked about the most about this episode and why it was so um, fun and engaging was to see these actors. And they are... The original actors who played those roles all the way back in the '60s. That's them. Really? Now, yes. Wow. So even though they, even though their makeup has changed, because you know, back in the '60s, Klingons looked wildly different than what they do yeah. now. This is this is them. Wow. It's this, so Man. it's the same actors. They pulled them out of mothballs and retirement homes and wherever the heck it is they were. And brought them to do this episode, and it was fantastic. And I have to say, that's, it's even it's even greater because each one of these. I mean, I don't. I haven't seen those original episodes, of course, but each one of the actors plays his character, and I I believe it. Like Core is the drunk, but you know he's got a heart of gold, kind of. And Koloft is yeah, the, the stern. You know, he's he's got his mustaches all the militaristic minded, the battle hardened right. one. Yes, and then, and then you have Kang. the seasoned warrior yeah. who seems to be a bit more tired of being a warrior yes. but still wants one more last shot at glory. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they, they fill their characters so great. So it's, I mean, I would I would be interested now to go back to the original episodes that they appeared in as their original character, as the characters originally, and see how well the characters have transferred, how well they brought them to life here in Deep Space Nine compared to their original versions. How would, how would you say? Do you think they did that pretty well? So, from what I can remember of those episodes, I have to admit, I don't remember the one with Koloff all too well. Um, and I think that's because the actor who played Koloff actually played another character in the original series, and that character was way more memorable, so it kind of like blurs me a little bit there. Right. But as for Kor and Kang, I think that they both nailed it. Got I think it. that they were they were great for evidencing the fact that they were older versions of themselves. Right. You know, Kang was um, very uh, aggressive and loud, and uh, he was always very in your face with with Kirk. And you see him now later on, and. There's some evidence of that, but you can also see there's kind of like a weariness to him. You know, yes. he, he has that moment where he starts reflecting on the fact that men that he slaughtered in battle, and he says it with such relish. He's like, I, you know, my, I'm watching Klingon serve food to the men whose, you know, grandchildren. slaughtered their grandfathers yes. in battle. Yeah. You know, you know, it was a great scene, but you're seeing that kind of ruthlessness is missing from him. Right. You know, and then, you know, with Kor, who's now kind of a, uh, affable drunk turned hero in the last bit. You know, he was way more mercurial with Kirk back in the day. So I feel like this works. He always had this kind of sly smile look to him. Like he wasn't totally revealing his true plan just yet and uh, was always smirking, half laughing. And now to see him very robust and bolsterous and, and laughing loudly and everything, I think that it follows suit for a guy who's kind of put that warrior part of him aside and is now all about regaling us with tales of his glory days. Right. You know, so that works. Yeah. All of it works for me. I think they did a great job with these characters, bringing them back. And I think the actors did a great job for the physicalness of it, yes. considering their um, advanced age. Cause again, they, they weren't young then when they were doing this in the sixties. Yeah. You know, oh, really? so oh, wow. here they are. Yeah. I mean, they were like, 
what, 35-ish, 40-ish doing those roles back in the 60s, and now here they are, 1994. Yeah, and they're so sprinting through later. fields, and yeah, sprinting through fields and fighting with Bat Lesson. I mean, I know that there's, you know, you know, uh, actors and whatever else you want to say about that, but it's still a very physically demanding job. Right. And so here's these guys in their 70s, and they're still, you know, having a blast. Yeah, stun so, doubles. I mean, I can only, yeah, they don't. Yeah. they come off as if they did it themselves. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't have doubted that they. In every scene I saw them in, that it was them. Um, of course. The makeup is enough that it's probably easy to hide that. But. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there, and there's there are some telltale signs of stunt doubles in in this. Don't get me wrong, right? But still, overall, very physically demanding scenes that they would still had to do for close ups and whatever else. So, right. Um, and plus, we all know that back then, you know, they were, they were not strangers to eighteen, nineteen hour days filming. Right. So again, big strain for a person uh, of that age. All of this to say, again, I think these guys did. A great job right. on giving us this story right yeah yeah this was a good one um i think that what would you go ahead yeah i was just gonna ask you what would you say is your favorite scene overall well i would say that i think the real crux of the episode is when jadzia is wrestling with following up on the blood oath like the last part of the episode where they're actually going in there and fighting that's action, and it's interesting and fun, but by that point, the true, like, she's already committed. Like, when Cisco comes yeah. to her and says, um, you can't leave, you can't do this, and she's like, well, then I quit, <laughs> basically. Like, if that's what it takes, you know, I'm doing this. Um, that's the, where the heart of the episode is, and so everything else that follows yeah. is, is action, and it's fine, uh, but that's where the heart is, and the other part of that too is the fighting that they do. Um, I guess they go into the hollow deck or hollow suite to, to, for him to practice for a uh, call off the practice. And that's where uh, mm-hmm. she meets him and they have a little, little, uh, batlith, uh, fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I have to say, I think, I mean, I, I know there were plenty of scenes where Worf was doing batlith stuff in TNG, but I feel like this was the best episode with, Batleth fighting that I've seen so far. Yeah. I would say that, you know, on, on Next Generation, when we see what little of Worf doing this kind of fighting, I feel like it was a very um, restrained, uh, almost an antiseptic. Well, it's, <laughs> you know, very, very cleaned. Yeah. Well, it's, stuff. it's like this Worf is... wasn't fighting anyone else. He was just going through the motions of yeah. how to swing it. Where in this one, we actually really have two people especially in that scene really going for it and it feels like they really took the yeah. time to coordinate this fight for the for yeah. the, this scene and um yeah it it looks yeah. it looked much better than i've seen anything else so far and i have more to say to that but you go ahead no that's fine um i just wanted to touch on the scene that you were talking about with uh, cisco and dax and you know this scene reminds me of a couple of others that we've seen from other captains throughout right. um, Star Trek. And in, and of, of course, we've done this before, the comparison between Cisco and Picard. And it's important to me because Cisco's argument here is not so much that she can't go off and kill this guy. I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it is. But it's more she is putting her personal and cultural um, stuff ahead of Starfleet and the ideals of 
being a member of Starfleet. Not just a member of the Federation, right. but a member of Starfleet. Yeah. Now, the mission of Starfleet, and, and, and to a greater extent the Federation, is basically saying everybody has a place. We can all work together. We can all communicate. We can build from a place of mutual understanding if we do that. Right. But when you join Starfleet, it's particularly important that they're saying, yes, everybody has a place in, in Starfleet, but it's you're putting your differences aside completely right. in order to serve a much greater good. Yeah. So we understand that you may be Klingon, Bolian, Bajoran, whatever it is, but once you get our uniform on, all that drops away. We are all the same. We are all governed and subject to the same laws, protocols, procedures. And here are some things you absolutely cannot do once you become a part of our organization. Right. And so this directly flies in the face of that. And that is why Cisco is in her face. We've seen this same kind of argument come up with Picard. Typically, when he was handling Bajorans and Klingons and with with Worf and Roland respectively you know there he was saying there's only so far he's allowing people to go to to practice their individual um relief beliefs um Captain Janeway says the same thing to a couple members of her crew when they you know fly out there and try to do their own cultural significant stuff it's not to say that in your own time you can't do certain things but even then it's like there's a limit there's a limit to how far we will allow cultural and religious practices to go when you work for us. Right. If you don't want to work for us, if you don't want to be a part of us, that's fine. We're not going to pressure you. But you took an oath. You agreed right. to be a part of what we're about. Right. Now, now the reason that this is important to me uh, is because I've seen people mistakenly call out our beloved captains on these moments, talking about, you know... Uh, appropriation or you know they're not allowing their their cultural identity to be expressed or whatever and it's like that's you're missing the point entirely that's not what starfleet was ever about right starfleet was founded to say that we can put all of these once we put that kind of stuff aside and we're not saying that it's not important right but once we put this aside we have a we have a job to do oh yes and as, and as long as you can do your job we don't care what your cultural affiliation is yes we don't care what you do in your spare time right and lately, this has been something that has been referenced a lot because, you know, you have members of different faiths who obviously now, you know, are, are watching Star Trek like we are, members of different gender identities and so forth who are, you know, going through their own scenario. And again, I have, you know, no affiliation. I'm not trying to call anybody's personal lives into question here. I'm just saying we have a lot of differences and we've got people who are saying that because of these differences, they wouldn't actually be accepted in... Starfleet, or there wouldn't be this expression there, whatever. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. <laughs> if anything, Starfleet, Starfleet is here saying, we, again, we don't care. Right. Just you signed up, so do your job. That's all we care about. If you want to walk around and paint your hair, whatever, and do, don't, doesn't matter. Do your job. Get to engineering, <laughs> get to engineering, fix my ship. <laughs> That's what's important. Well, you, actually, so real quickly, there was um, Lieutenant Rowe, who her earring is a Bajoran. Her wearing that, she wasn't allowed to for a time, right? Yes, she got she got special permission from Picard to wear the earring. Right. Riker took it to task on it and made her take it off right. when she first set foot on the Enterprise. And he says the same thing to her. Hey, we got a bunch of people here from different walks of life, and they all got their things they want to wear or whatever, but our uniform says this is it. Right. So take it off. Right. Um, 
on on Voyager, same thing happens. Uh, Commander Tuvok dresses down a bunch of junior officers, and there was one who was wearing like a headband. He made her take it off. Right. A, a Bajoran on that ship had his earring in, made him take it off. Right. There was a Folian who was wearing a necklace, made him take it off. And, He's like, we we don't care. And I know, I think we probably discussed this, but you know, Worf wears the uh, the thing around his chest. I can't remember what the the baldric. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what, what's, what's going on with that? And I think we've talked about it before. So but. that is, that is a, that is a culturally significant thing for Klingons. That is a part of where their, their family crest. And I always took that as Worf got special permission to wear it. Yes. Um, just like Rolaren gets special permission from Picard to wear it. So it seems that the captains on their ships can grant exceptions wherever i don't know what Worf had to do to get his exception but apparently one was made for him just like one was made for rolaren so apparently it's it seems to be up to the individual captain yeah because janeway didn't allow it on her ship but obviously picard allowed it on his and then you've got cisco here who's in a very unique position because he's got federation officers but they're serving with bajorans and the bajorans they're wearing it yeah that's that's that is part of their uniform yeah it's like every bajoran i mean i don't think we've ever met any bajoran that has not worn is it is it called an earring what's the what's the technical name for it yeah they're calling them their earrings okay they're bajoran earrings and like Worf was the only klingon in the federation if i remember correctly so it's like to help like just make you know you're a special case literally you're the only one so we're not gonna like absolutely cause you to like absolutely 100 percent deny your culture um that's not that could be a very good point as to why um why he was allowed yeah to wear it because he was the only klingon for a long time right it's like you are special in that regard and so we're gonna let that specialness stick out even more um, we're not going to try and flatten it to the, where it's just, you know, your ridges on your forehead. That's the only thing that looks any different. It's like, no, you, right. I mean, your cost, your, your, your uniform, uh, is enough to differentiate you with us. We can let you have this one mm-hmm. exception in this way. And yeah, with the Bajorans, it's like every single one of them wears the earring. So for Ro Laren to not wear it was, it's like, it's like that they just well, flattened her nose, like the ridges on her nose. It's like, that was yeah. a Bajoran marker. <laughs> But we have to remember now, Rolaren actually joined Starfleet. So again, it would have made sense for him to be like, nope, you can't wear the, the earring. And she was not the only Bajoran in Starfleet. There uh, were others. Okay. And they did and they did not wear the earring. That's right. So there was the young lady who was the uh, one of the cadets with um Yes with Will Cito. And she did uh, well, Yeah, and in, in Encinito, she was a part of Worf's security service. Well, she, she doesn't wear her earring. That's the same character. She was the one who was originally a cadet with, um, ah, that's right, uh, with Doc, that's young right. Crusher, and that's where because she gets kind of chewed out a bit by uh, Picard in the episode where she is on the the Enterprise, um, and she's mm-hmm. having to kind of redeem herself. And I think she dies, right? Like that's the part of the episode is like she is used yes. as ultimately she, she's used she, she's used to sell a story of a Cardassian um, double agent, right? And she's used to sell his story, but they don't As believe bait. it. And ultimately, the yes. double agent and her are killed. Right? Yeah, I remember that. And, and Worf's and Worf's rather upset. Man, another right. Star Trek Great. definitely does go into some like it's not afraid to like have some tragedy has happened in their storytelling. Right. Yeah. It's not. A, it's not. They're not afraid to tackle certain issues, and I love that about this show. And it's otherwise what cracks me up about people when they say that you know the show is campy or for kids or whatever and it's like okay you clearly didn't watch 
any of it right. because it's not. It's definitely not. And there's a lot to be said for the messages that um, that they can handle in sci-fi that they can't really handle on a lot of other shows. Right. So it always cracks, again, cracks me up. I keep saying that, but it's it's interesting to me when people say that, and especially these days, we hear, you know, that word woke being thrown around a lot, you know, Star Trek's too liberal, Star Trek's too woke. And I'm like, guys, this, this has been Star Trek since forever. I mean, Star Trek did a, a, a couple of different race-related episodes in the 60s, right at the height of the civil rights movement. What What do you think? You think that everybody was really happy watching that? Right. You know, first interracial kiss on television ever was on Star <laughs> Trek. Do you think that that was a, just a regular moment, or would you consider that woke for the 60s? <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, they've been, doing it for, they've been doing it since their inception, guys, so it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Just, just move on. Accept the lesson and move on. Right, right. Um, I feel like the lesson I learned the most from Star Trek is – if it doesn't affect me personally, I don't care. Just do your <laughs> do your job. That's all I that's all I really care about. Do your job and then go home. Right. Whatever it is you do behind closed doors or whatever else, keep it there. I don't need to, you know, whatever the situation, I don't need to know all the rest of it. I don't I don't care who you voted for. I, I don't want to know. Just do your job and don't hurt anybody. That's it. That's it. Right. Uh, but that's me. That's the lesson I pick up from it. We can have differences. We can talk about some of these differences. But at the end of the day, please just do your job and don't hurt anybody. That's that's it. That's all we're asking. That's it. Yeah, seems like a reasonable request. <laughs> I, I would I would like to think so. I would think that I'm not asking too much of people when I say that, yeah. you know. Uh, but apparently, there's enough people out there who totally disagree. So, um, and if you're listening and you disagree with me, please feel free to politely say so on twitter <laughs> or uh facebook exactly. again politely exactly. um i will just wholly ignore anything else uh, we, we can have a discussion we can even debate a little bit but right. uh, i will not handle um nasty comments okay we don't do that so i think that's a good transition to the thing i was thinking of talking about uh the yeah the strong take there's a youtube channel i like to watch sometimes it's called shadiversity it's a guy named shad and his channel, you know, Chad University, Shadiversity. What he does is he's a weapons guy, swords, medieval, armor, and he likes mm. to examine fantasy, sci-fi, weapons, and video games and TV. And he has an episode on Batliths, and I watched it at some point in the past. I don't remember how long it's been. Here's the name, here's the title of the episode. Get ready. I know you're going to have a strong reaction here. It's, it's Why the Klingon Batlith from Star Trek is Stupid. <laughs> Well, this guy is stupid. His name is Chad. I already don't want to listen to him. So anyway. I decided a long time ago all Chads are worthless. No, Chad. So. S. Chad. Chad. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> that's even worse. Chad. Oh, anyway. the endless jokes. Anyway, yeah. yes. Go ahead. Uh, anyway, so yeah, he – um, I I had watched that episode or at least seen it. I don't think I'd seen the whole thing or maybe I just saw the title before I watched TNG. So – Whenever I watched it in TNG, is like, here it is. Like he had a strong opinion. He doesn't like it. Um, I don't remember all his arguments about why. Um, but again, in this episode, it was like the first time that I felt like, wow, they actually took the time to like really, I think, really make it work. Um, yeah. Again, there are episodes in TNG like they're on one of the Klingon planets, and he has his son Alexander with him. And yeah, I remember that episode. But even that one, I think, still failed to really give me the sense that they were 
really doing it right. Like they had really worked well, out. Well, that episode was stylized fighting. That was a ritualistic fighting style they were using because they were putting That's on a play. Right. You're that totally was the play right. between uh, between Molor and uh, Kalos, right. the brothers. They're fighting. Ah, uh, right. So yeah, it was that doesn't count. Yeah, it that was, was still stylized. I remember it being stilted, yes. but you're right. It was it was intentionally stilted because the characters were playing a were doing a play version of, of fighting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in this one, what I liked was like for example it's very easy or at least it seems easy to use a bat lift in a way like where you can hold it with two hands but switch it to the other hand very easily which we've seen mm-hmm. before but you know using it to also trip someone um you know you it's easy to swing it overhead or make large sweeping one, moves yeah one-handed one-handed wielding that's what we see Koloth do a lot he switched between uh both hands and single-handed uh combat against uh, Dax right. a lot of times. It seems like you use both hands when you're doing more to block yes. and defend and you're doing and then you're doing more of your offensive attacking right. and that's more one-handed. Right. So cuz I noticed that Dax her fighting style tended to be more balanced that way. She tended to fight more to use the battle to protect and block herself and then she used her body a lot of kicks a lot of sweeping movement things like that to fight him whereas koloth was definitely more aggressive and he had broader swings finer points stuff like that he used his more like a broadsword yeah well i was gonna say actually like the the bat lift really lends itself to those wide arcing mm-hmm. like spinning kind of moves you're you're really going for a, a real you know you're batting someone like it's called a bat lift, like almost like a bat. Yeah. Um, but it's got sharp points on it so it could punch through armor. It's got enough of a hook to it that you can trip someone if you can get under their mm-hmm. legs. Um, when uh, the, the albino is, you know, he's going to Dax and he's taunting her. Like he puts his neck in between the two kind of blades um, and dares her to do something. Um, but yeah, I really felt like this one, let me put it this way. In that video, YouTube video by Shadowversity, where he says it's stupid, I feel like maybe what the problem is is simply no one had really taken the time, at least when he made the episode, which was five years ago, according to what I just saw, to really make a true, you know, how do you fight with this weapon? Which maybe maybe someone has, and he examined it, and he, he critiqued it. Maybe that's part of what he's doing. But if the idea there is that we just are seeing actors swinging around a piece of metal but we've never really given it a chance to really be developed as a weapon i mean it it, Mm -hmm. let me put it this way it's a perfect sci-fi weapon it's unique it's Mm -hmm. different it's noticeable recognizable very recognizable and so it it always stands out it it is klingon there's something about it that just is klingon it's got the sharpness to it but it's got the big old it's big uh, it's a defensive weapon, but an offensive. It's, it's everything. It's got. It's yeah. it's perfect as a sci-fi weapon. So even if someone might be able to critique its real real realism, which I think the one big thing I would critique it on is that when I look at it, and maybe it's just because I've seen yours that you hang on your wall, the grip on it seems hard to really get a good grip, especially if like a defensive move. Like it would yes. almost need to fill in your hands more than the one you have, which I know is not a full size replica, but it's like. It's just the the kind of thin pieces of metal with some like leather wrapped around it, but it would need yeah. to be more round, more like a pommel of a sword to kind of fit in your hand better to make it more yeah. realistic. But if that was fixed, like if if you could really get a true bat lift, and I let me put it this way, I imagine that if this was a real weapon, that would have been solved. 
then yeah, I, I can yeah. believe that this might be a, a realistic, I mean, at, at least in sci-fi in a fantasy story, this makes sense and I like it. And this was a great yeah. scene, a great episode to really examine that. So, yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that you're, you're spot on about the handles. I mean, I would feel like they probably are somehow reinforced and made to be more comfortable because if you are taking this thing, you know, into battle for real, the last thing you want is your grip slipping or for the weapon to not feel like it, it sits in your hands well right. or anything like that. You want to be able to be very versatile with it because you never know when you're going to have to go from a long attacking sleeping mo movement to something that's more balanced and defensive. Right. So yeah, I'm sure they do take care of that. And that's why, you know, like, if you can ever find one that is made properly for fighting, they they are very expensive. Right. They're very expensive. Well, actually, that, so, that actually reminds me of one thing in this episode. Um, Kang's Batleth breaks because when he does an overhead swing, he misses the albino and hits some stone and it shatters. So I yeah. think maybe what part of the argument that the Shadowversity uh, YouTube channel is making is that, you know, swords, a lot of, Fighting with swords is also poking. You know, you can have a lot of reach with it. You can definitely mm -hmm. do sweeping motions, but um, sometimes a poking motion is very helpful um, to get past someone's guard. And so maybe that's his argument, is that all of the broad sweeping, it's very easy to shatter it if you hit something wrong or, or something like that. But um, Well, and we could, you could make the argument, too, that perhaps Kang's Batleth is really old. Right. And he probably hasn't taken care of it as well as perhaps... Koloth did because Koloth certainly didn't have the same issue. Um, yes, and um, yeah, he was I mean, the one in this episode who like really was taking care of his battleth. You can tell. Yes, yeah. he was all he was taking care of all of his weapons and armor very well. Right. You know, um, but yeah, you could kind of make that argument that it's possible that that's why Kang's ultimately failed um, because we've never seen that happen with Worf either. Worf's battleth has never broken or chipped or whatever, so there could be something to that. Right. Um, but I mean, of course I'm going to defend the Batleth because I've always wanted one. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I've always, I've always wanted one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just feel like when I, don't, I people make those videos, this is stupid, this is whatever. And it's like, you have nothing else better to do. Like, why you want to crap all over somebody's. Well, to be very clear, know, his channel is all about examining sci-fi weapons. So, for example, the idea, like, you know, in a lot of Japanese culture, there's there's swords that are just too big to be yeah. realistic. But then he'll, like, take that and be like, well, let's assume that you could lift this weapon, even though it's unrealistic. What would that mean? What would your fighting style look like? And so it is actually fun. So I imagine he does have some positive uh, things to say about the Batlist. But I just, I wish I had watched I mean, it, the video, before I came on and we uh, talked tonight. But... I forgot to watch it. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. Because, I mean, I, I think we've all done that at some point. I can remember in my younger days, again, still an avid Star Trek fan of being like, you know, what would it take to make a phaser? You know, like, yeah. that, like that could never really happen. Yeah. Or which ship could beat which ship? The Enterprise D versus the Enterprise A. You know, like that kind of stuff. And anybody who ever said anything other than the D, I still maintain as a moron. <laughs> so, you know. It's it's a silly thing, but it's just something that nerds do, and I yeah. think we're never going to put that down. Right. So yeah. And actually, uh, I just wanted to say the other thing it reminded me of is that you know, as people might remember, a few months ago for your birthday, I got you a little bat with keychain, and yeah. I forgot to mention when you were asking me how my week was. This was I had my birthday this week. I totally forgot to mention. That's that. right. It was David's birthday. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't really celebrate it much. Like I'm going out tomorrow night with family, uh, to just you know have dinner and and go to. A, 
go to see my nieces. So it'll be fun. But yeah, he was like, oh yeah, my birthday was this week. <laughs> so anyway, but back to Star Trek. Okay, we'll have to... I know I have to get you a gift, return the favor. I've been trying to figure out oh. um, what would be appropriate. <laughs> I haven't even so. thought of that. I don't. You don't have to. No, me I, I'm not saying <laughs> no, David. You did not just guilt me into saying I'm going to get you a gift. No, um, I, I just was like, I want to, you know, I try to be appropriate here. But uh, yeah, for sure. So, what would you say is the scene that we didn't really need or could have done without in this episode? Well, let me turn that a little bit. I would say that the thing that stood out to me was that when they were fighting the albino, he came off initially as a coward to me. Okay. And he was being fought, and he told his second-in-command, like, you know, his second-in-command said... Don't let those, that Klingon filth in here. Yeah, but he was also like, uh, his second-in-command was like, oh, communication's out, I can't tell people what to do. And so, you know, the albino yells at him, well, then you go out there and do it. It's like he's desperate, and... He came off as cowardly in that moment. But then when the final fight happens and Kang fights him, it's like he actually isn't a coward or something. It's like actually he was a fighter. Um, but in that in those scenes when they were getting into the compound, I was like, wait a minute. This guy doesn't seem quite the badass <laughs> they were making him out to be. Like, you know, he had – well, the story was – I don't think we got into this much. The story was is that the three of them are three – Klingons had somehow fought the albino in the past. I forget exactly what happened, but the albino was, yes. I guess, terrorizing the Klingons. And like, he is a Klingon, right? The albino is a Klingon. He's not a Klingon. Okay, he kind of looks like one, but he's not. No. Okay. Well, anyway, but when they 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 never they never say what his race is. He is just um, the albino, right? I I figured. Well, I thought he was one when we saw him eventually, but I'll take. Yeah. It's not important. The point is, is that. The three of these guys, they were captains of their own ships, and they somehow stopped the albino in his nefarious fighting some hundred years ago or so. Um, and as revenge, the albino said, I'm going to kill your firstborn sons. And then like 10 years later, he does. He gives like a mm -hmm. specific biological disease that only affects the three boys and kills them. And one of them, Kang's son who has been named Dax after Curzon Dax, and that means that Dax was the godfather of that boy, which I don't think we mentioned yet. That's part of their blood oath, is he was the godfather yeah. to this boy. He was the one that one of the ones that was killed. And so they had been for years trying to get revenge for the deaths of their three sons, and the mm -hmm. albino had been teasing them, and like Kang says at the beginning when he reveals that he's found the albino, that he had found one of the albino's discarded wives and had tried bringing her back from, like, she she was, you know, desperate and in need, and she wouldn't tell him anything because she was so scared, but when she died, she revealed some information about his location and uh, stuff like that. So, um, I guess I would say there's not, like, a scene that needs to go um, as much as... I don't know. This when we first saw the albino, he didn't seem quite so, as he, he he seemed to be more of a badass than he came off yeah. as when we finally met him. I guess is what I'm saying. So this would be an episode for me, and what you're talking about, um, you know, this would be an episode for me that would would benefit from one of the things that I actually kind of hate the most, um, either a flashback or a prequel. And this would have been where we would have seen the initial conflict between the albino and our three 
Klingons and uh, Curzon. And so, yeah, basically, you know, they reveal in the, you know, in the episode, the mission, what happened there was there was a mission that way back when in his heyday, the albino was a pirate who was leading various raids on Klingon and Federation colonies. Right. A task force was put together to stop him, which compo- was composed of Kor, Koath, and Kang. Right. They were able to stop him, but he vowed revenge. And again, that was the firstborn children. Right. Of of our three Klingons, right? So there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I would, I think, like, just a brief, you know, they could have done it. You know, the episode starts that kind of opener there, eighty one years ago, and we watch these three Klingons just kind of decimate this guy and him vow revenge and something like that, you know, and then them watching their kids die, and then we flash forward. Or just, uh, you know, the previous episode should have maybe been... Oh, you're saying that. you wish there had been a flashback. I thought you were saying you I don't wish there like had flashbacks. Oh. I don't like flashbacks, but I'm saying this episode could have benefited uh... from that. For the, for the sake of building the albino abrush. Yes. He was very one-dimensional, and when we finally get to see him, he does kind of fall flat of the menace right. that we have been led to believe he was for these three Klingons for the past 81 years. Right, and that's... They've been searching for him and trying to find him on top of all their other duties for the past eight decades. They really kind of built him up as larger than life, and then when we finally see him, he was... Like you said, kind of cowardly. Well, and I think part of the reason that's important too is because the whole idea here is that Jadzia hasn't ever killed anyone, which is why she asks Kira, what does it feel like? And Kira says when you mm-hmm. kill someone, you also lose a part of yourself. And so when she has the the albino on the end of her batleth, I mean, she and the others just fought their way in and presumably killed some people, but then suddenly she's, oh, I can't kill this guy. Um, and he's taunting her. Um Again, if, if we had, as you just pointed out, if we had seen all of the devastation that he had wrecked, especially killing the boys, the children of these three, we could have had more of a like an emotional response as opposed to, oh no, is Jadzia not, is she going to kill him or not? Is she going to, it's like, it's like it's on TV, so like we can't kill him because it would be too hard, it would be too rough for TV, so he can't die. And then um, when he... When he does fight with Kang, you know, the fight with Kang is is, is good because Kang's the one who had had the boy. And so, um, you know, it's, we, well, let me put it this way. When when Dax is holding him by the end of the Batleth, she can't kill him. But then Kang does it. And he says, thank you for letting me have the final kill. And it was like, it was like, it's like they were giving... They, they, they couldn't let Jadzia do it, so they let Kang do it. You know, Jadzia is our good character. We can't let her ever be sullied by killing someone. So Kang, he was defeated, but, oh, he's still there. He can get the final kill. We can have the resolution to the episode and the storyline, but we don't have to let Jadzia be tainted by, I don't know, murdering well, the guy, even though she helped them, like, the blood oath. And I don't know. It's, yeah. Well, I think I think that I think that it was a way of also getting her to approach a line that she couldn't cross because we again have to take into consideration the scene with her and Cisco. Cisco pretty much lets her know without saying it that if she kills this guy, she's out of a job. You know, he doesn't he doesn't a hundred percent say it. He's kind of, basically because even at that point, we're not sure if she's going to follow through with killing um, the albino. So because she did not commit that act. Right. 
um, she's able to skirt that and return to work. Now, I mean, you could make the argument that she still killed a bunch of people when she went in there and fought all of his various henchmen. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> and whatever. But, but I think that that was kind of what they were going for there was the end result was they had set out to kill this albino. She did not kill the albino. Kang did. So she is not at fault. Right. Um, well, I guess yeah, for I, me, you know, when she's with Cisco and he tells her you can't go, it's like, it's like she's choosing to go AWOL. And so yeah. he's saying you can't just go AWOL. And if she had come back with, well, then I wanted to go ahead and take it take some leave <laughs> spontaneous leave and then she makes a, an appeal to the Curzon relationship they have I mean that would have been an abuse of their relationship in that sense saying that yeah I, you know you loved Curzon you know I and mean, she kind of did say that you know what this meant to him I don't know I guess she didn't really directly tell him do this for me as much as she said like I'll accept the consequences of your choice and then still kind of leaves it on him to just take her back. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the episode, they don't say anything. Kira and Cisco look at her, and she just goes to her station. But there's no conversation yeah. about hey. It's kind of one of those, <laughs> kind of one of those understood moments of uh, I- I'm going to need a little time off from our friendship for a little while. You know, yeah. you just do your job, Lieutenant, and stay out of my way. Right. Like you're you're not you're not invited to Sunday dinner for the next like four weeks. Yeah. Well, uh, well I just, <laughs> that's it. I guess part of me is like you know. I know we'll probably never really touch on this episode ever again, and but you know it would be kind of nice actually to have the girl moment, you know, Dax or Jadzia and Kira talking like, "Hey, I just did the thing, you know. I we we killed some people. I didn't actually get the death kill on the one guy we were going after, but I was there and helped participate. Um, just like a follow up scene between them yeah. as like a, I don't know, like a, a David, stinger. Go ahead, yeah, David, I. I... I love you, man. You you say these things, and I know that other people have thought about it, like they, how they wish that the characters would have chances where they would sit and talk, basically, and expound upon the experience they just had, what they just went through, and what that means. Greater implications, not just for their careers, right. but for themselves, personally. And the reason why, I, I think that it's funny that you point this out, because in a lot of the new Trek that's exactly what we get. Oh, we get a okay. lot. We get a lot of scenes where something happens, a decision is made, everything seems to be really fast, rapid. We gotta, you know, gotta go, gotta go. It's heat of the moment, right? But then it's followed later by you know someone sitting there being like, you know, I I really don't know if that was the best decision, and I, I hope I did this right, and I'm worried about this and all this kind of stuff, right? And so it's great because, as you just pointed out. That seems very realistic. Like, we understand making split decisions in the heat of the moment, you know, and it, it being necessary. Right. <laughs> Please silence all cell phones before entering the cabin. <laughs> that is so weird. I was not playing music. I don't know how that just happened. Um, but yeah, keep going, keep going. But yeah. Uh, so... It's what people have, again, totally normal, totally natural. You would expect something like this to um, um, happen. Yeah, that conversation but, would happen. But it's like the episode needed to end. And don't get me wrong. I do, I do think, well, they didn't have any time left. So this was an interesting way to end it. You know, Cisco is there. Kira is there. They know what happened. They don't say anything. They just let it go. But, yeah, as you just but, said, it would be nice to 
see that conversation happen. What is the conversation between Kira and Dax right. and John Zia and well, Cisco and, and all that? Yeah. And the reason I bring it up is because, again, it happens a lot in New Trek. In particular, Discovery, we see that a lot. They are starting to do it a little bit here and there in the few episodes of Strange New Worlds. But the reason I say that it's interesting that you say that, because I know other people have said the same thing, how cool it would be if we got to see the officers sit around, talk about some of these things a little bit more before something happens. I've said some of my greatest... Uh, my greatest scenes that I feel, you know, from Next Generation were when the officers sat around and kind of debated an issue a bit before they made a decision. Now, with the, in the new Trek, when they do it, and they do it a lot, that's like the main complaint. Well, you know, Picard and company never really sat around and talked about their feelings or whatever. Yes, they did. They just didn't do it a lot. And they were always rated as high-ranking episodes, fa- fan-favorite episodes. Right. Because it's realistic it makes sense that these guys would talk before they act that's kind of the whole point we're not always going to jump to insane rationalities and even if you want to go all the way back to the original series with kirk and spock and all those guys you know yes they were more quick to just kind of jump into action but they too had episodes where they were sitting around the conference table talking about the developing situation and what they need to potentially be aware of. Well, I, I would say so with TNG, I'm just thinking back, it's like the character asking the question is important. Like Riker talking with Picard would be a, you know, who's in charge here? You know, it's captain and first, first officer type of conversation. So it's about logistics. It's about ramifications. It's about number one, I want you to do this. And number one saying, well, what about that? And so they're, they're, they're discussing the ramifications, but then you go to counselor Troy and she's the emotional one and she's going to mm. sense your emotions and ask those questions. And, and data is always perfect for this type of stuff. Cause he would actually ask to help understand the empirical question. Yeah. Right. He's asking the empirical question. Now in a great episode that I always point to, cause it's one of my favorites is pen pals. And they're trying to decide what to do about the planet with the little girl, Sarjanka, and her family. And should they save them or should they not? Should they violate the prime directive in first contact or not? And I still will maintain Data <laughs> manipulated the entire room yes. to get what he wanted. Yep. So, right. <laughs> but that is a great episode for that. It's and, and even Picard says at the beginning of that scene when they're all sitting in his quarters, this isn't about rank. It's not about any of that. They are trying to determine the proper course of action, what they will do next. Right. And we get to see the perspectives of all those individuals, Riker, Troy, Pulaski, uh, Jordy, and of course, Picard and Data. So everybody's there. Yeah. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're talking about how this is going to affect them and also the people on the planet and everything else right. if they if they do this thing. Right. So and then we get more of that in in Deep Space Nine. We get a lot of that in Voyager. We now have a lot of that in Discovery. So it's very much in keeping with Star Trek tradition. I just find that it's interesting that people are like, oh why are they talking about their feelings so much? No one cares about their feelings. Yes we do. Why? Because we have them and we want to know what they think. Right. You know, like, are we identifying the same way here or not? Right. That's what helps. Empathy helps, guys. Yeah. That's the message. Well, all good stories <laughs> ultimately come down to, to that, to empathy. Empathizing yeah, being with relatable. characters, relatable. Exactly. It's about that uh, catharsis, that cathartic moment of someone struggling with something and coming to an emotional uh, 
breakthrough on that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess I would say that that's just the one thing. It's not that I would remove any scenes. I would add that scene or two. Yeah. What's the follow up for 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 Jadzia and her her two I would, friends? I would agree. Yeah. Speaking of which, yeah, would... uh, we didn't have O'Brien or. Uh, Bashir. Bashir at all in this episode. They were absent. We did not. I think Bashir's been gone not. for a little while now that I think about it. Well, he was in the last one, but very briefly, like right at the beginning. Well, that's what I there. mean. He like, was there. Well, yeah. yeah, he was there, but like, wasn't. I mean, we haven't seen much of him in a while, but that's kind of okay because I feel like we've gotten a good bit of him. So <laughs> yeah, we had kind of a super saturation of him in the first the first season and the beginning of the second yeah, if season. I, if, if, and now they've kind of cooled their jets a if bit. If I get more Dax by trading out Bashir for a bit, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> right well i believe that that pretty much wraps it up for us yeah. on uh this episode um again guys remember that deep space nine is leaving netflix come july 1st so go ahead sign up for paramount plus and you know bookmark the show so that you can easily find them and watch them and you can continue on with us as we go through this show also you should definitely check check out uh strange new worlds while you're there because i think that you'd really enjoy it like even if you don't know a whole lot about star trek and deep space nine was your first kind of foray into whatever it is i think you really like strange new worlds it's it's complex it's got funny moments they're telling some great stories so go ahead and, and check that out um other than that, I don't have anything else. We will catch you all next week. David, do you have anything? No, that's it. Thanks again for listening, guys. And yeah. Well, as always, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and all the social medias, and you can listen to us on anywhere or anywhere you listen to uh, podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. So until next week, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.